Well, it's good to be back with you uh, after the weather, and I thought for a moment uh, word had gotten out I'd be back today from the south of the audience, but I think we've got several out of town. I will be away next week. I, I do a 30-hour seminar at the university uh, once a semester on adventures and attitudes, and so I'll be there uh, from Candle Cant, about 30 hours, and Friday through Sunday night. <clears throat> I, uh, I want to talk about God's marvelous, wonderful, amazing grace. If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to look in Romans chapter 8, we'll be there in a moment, verse 28. <clears throat> in the book, Life as You've Always Wanted It, the author tells about his friend visiting a nursing home. And as he looks down this long corridor, he sees this old lady strapped in a wheelchair. She looked horrible. She had a sore on one side of her face. It was a cancer. It was running and oozing. It had pushed her eye up to one side, moved her nose over, had dropped her jaw, and what should be the corner of her mouth is now the bottom. So she drooled constantly. He said he learned that when they hired a new employee that they would often send them to feed her because they thought if, if they could stand that side, they could stand any side. And he didn't know why he responded to her, but he gave her a flower and said, Here, uh, happy Mother's Day. But, he, but he, the white stare and glare in her eye told me that she probably was blind and the big hearing aid probably told me she was deaf. And then he said he learned later, she was 89, and she had been there, bedridden, blind, and deaf, and all along for 25 years. Her name was Mabel. When I read the story, it just gripped me. My mom's name was Mabel. And so when he handed the flower, she tried to smell of it and said, it's beautiful, uh, can I give it to someone else? I'm blind, you know, I can't see. He said, sure. And he pushed her down the carter to find some more alert patients. And when she handed them the flower, she said, here, this is from Jesus. He said he knew he didn't have just an ordinary uh, person on his hands. In the next weeks that followed, <clears throat> he came with pencil and paper. And he said, Mabel, what do you think about what do you think about all day? I mean, day after day, week after week, month after month. We don't even know if it's day or night. What do you think about? She said, I just think about Jesus. And he said he thought how difficult it is for him to even think about Jesus for five minutes. Well, what do you think about, Mabel? Well, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me, you know. A lot of people wouldn't care what I think. They would think I was an old-fashioned, but I really don't care because I'd rather have Jesus than all the world. How could she say that? I mean, when time, the seconds just ticked and the minutes just crawled, how could you say that? Well, I think Mabel was able to say that because of 
whom she trusted. In other words, in whom she had her trust. I think that was the difference. Look in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that in all these things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That tells us that we're going to be glorified. Missed that for a long time. God's glorified, but we're going to be glorified. Well, what then should we say to all of this? The fact that we are justified and we predestined and justified and and glorified, what what do you say about all that? Well, it's just one thing. God is for us. Now, he asks it in a rhetorical question that doesn't need an answer. If God is for us, who can be against us? You never come up to the window of God's blessings and, boom, oh, closed. Next window. No. Always. Four words. God is for us. That's it. How do you know that? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How we not also along with him graciously give us all things. If he didn't spare his son, he's saying surely he won't spare anything else. Anything else would be less than that. And who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? I wouldn't. Out of that business. Used to be in that business. God's business. Not mine. Who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? If God who, it's God who justifies, who are we con- to condemn? Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble? No. Hardship? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Danger? Our sword? No. And then he quotes, For all, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to the slaughter. And so if you don't read the quote that's in there, what can separate us from the love of Christ? It is nothing. Nothing. And then he starts naming the various things. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, or present, or future, any power, height, depth, or anything in all of creation, nothing can separate us from the love of God that he has in Christ Jesus. Jesus. 
So what do you trust in? Oh, no country song. So country you couldn't sing it. Still has a shuck on it. <laughs> so country. <clears throat> it said, Mama and Jesus will always love you. Yeah, that's it. That's about the only thing you can trust in. Uh, I guess this lesson really could be titled then, What are you hoping? What's your trust in today? I'm reminded the two old boys who were out hunting, walking around, came upon this uh, uh, big old hole in the ground, the biggest hole they'd ever seen. Looked down, couldn't see the bottom. Picked up a little old pebble, threw it down. Couldn't even hit, hit the bottom. Picked up a bigger pedal, pebble, couldn't. Picked up this big rock, threw it down in this hole, couldn't hear it hit the bottom. So, uh, cross tie, picked up that cross tie, both of them got that thing, threw it down there, and about that time a goat jumped in the hole. They still didn't find bottom. So they're walking around and come up on this old farmer, and he said, have y'all seen my goats? I had one of those cop ears. You know where they chipped the ear. said, goat out here. Have you ever seen him? said, uh, Said no. Said well, he jumped in that hole. He said he couldn't have. I had him tied to a cross tie. <laughs> now, what's your hope tied to today? What's your hope tied to? Is it tied to your goodness? Is it tied to getting it right? Is it tied to church attendance? I mean, what, what is it tied to? I tell you. Three things you can't tie it to. Number one's your wealth, portfolio, your successes. Rich ruler came to Jesus and said, How can I have what you have that I don't have? And Jesus said, Well, sell what you have and give to the poor. Mmm, don't want to do that. And then follow me. Jesus never told anyone else to do that. So why did he tell him? Is it possibly what he was trusting in? What he tied to? In fact, we don't practice that. We don't even preach that. Jesus told these marvelous stories. He's got his disciples around. He's telling a story about this rich man. They had bumper crop. I mean, big crop. So big, he couldn't even put it in. And there probably some rich people right in the group saying, Wow, how did he know about me? Who told him? And everything's just wonderful. But Jesus says, Tonight you die. Oh, you say, that's so religious. No. That's so right. It's been about one-on-one. Check it out. And then Jesus says, whose will it be? So you can't trust in that. All you have to do is look around and see who had it and who doesn't have it. And I'll tell you something else you can't trust in is your health. I talked about Ryan Campbell a couple of weeks ago and what's more important. And can't trust your health. Just wait around a little while. Third thing you can't trust is you're doing right all the time. Well, I appreciate the prayer. Forgive us, forgive us. Can't trust that. 
Now, we try. We try to trust because we've got to figure it out so right, or we think we can't trust that. The only thing, the only thing, is in the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus. God had that love. It was so much He couldn't... He was so merciful and kind and loving, He says in Psalms 103. And I won't always be angry and point out your sins. And I won't always punish you according to your sins. Isn't that good news? And even ask the question, how much do I love you? And He says... Well, how far is the distance between heaven and earth? That's how much I love you. And how far have I removed your sins from me? As far as the east is from the west. I was at the inauguration ceremony when the Lunsfords, that dedication of that track around ACU. And Fuzzy was talking and he told some of the scriptures they chose around that uh, it's, quite a, it's, it's quite a deal. And one of those scriptures was this scripture right here. It said, I want, I want people to know what it means when God forgives you. He said, now you can start flying in an airplane and you can start going north and you can just keep going north and that compass will click south when you hit that pole and it turns over and you come back around. But he said... You can start flying west. And you can fly west. And you can fly west as far as you want to fly. And you won't ever find east. Won't ever find east. That's how far God has separated. That's why you didn't use north and south. Used east and west. And that's how far God has separated us from our sins. And just like parents are kind to their children, I'm kind to those who worship me, God says. Because I realize you're made out of dust. And so we know, I mean, we really know that we can't save ourselves. The river's too strong. The jump's too wide. And God has given us Jesus take us home and no matter no amount of our jump no amount would ever suffice no amount not the labor of my hands can fulfill the lost demand could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin would not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. We try to use duct tape and glue to fix it. God used nails. I want to take you back 
to the days of the of the kings. It was uh, Jonathan and Saul had been killed in battle, and David now was to be king. In those days, when a king took over, he just uh, annihilated all the pres- the other king's family. That way, you don't have any rebellion and uprising. Like when you take over as head coach, you fire all the assistants and you have some loyalty. Well, they thought David would do that. David didn't do that. But in thinking they would do that, all of Saul's family just ran and scattered. And Jonathan had a little son. That was Saul's grandson. And a nurse grabbed him up and in running fell and crippled his feet, both feet. And a little crippled Mephibosheth never got over it. And so Paul, uh, David becomes king and, and Israel prospers. I mean, they had never prospered like it before. They, they had a chicken in every pot and grapes on every vine and a chariot in every garage or whatever. If you get the idea. And David is kind of basking in that success and thinking, uh, who, who, who's helped me? You've done that. Who could I think? And who could, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I could show gratitude for Jonathan's sake? Well, he calls in Zybra, one of Saul's servants, says, is there anybody left in the house of Saul? Anybody? And now he didn't ask, is there somebody who can work in the, in the intelligence and in the government? Or is there somebody stout that I can put in the army? Is there anybody left? And Zyber said, yeah, there's a, there's a cripple. By the way, that begins that story and it ends that story. Now, I'm adding two, okay? More than it says. But it just seems to me that Zyber is saying, I know one, but I don't really think you want him. He won't fit in. He's not like the rest of us. He's not kingly. It's going to be embarrassing. And to good, David's good favor, he didn't ask how much or how badly. He just said, where is he? He said, it isn't Lodabar. Now you've got a nobody from nowhere. That's what Lodabar meant. And David said, go get him. Now I don't have the emotion or the vocabulary to describe to you how fearful Mephibosheth would be. The watchword he had all his life was, don't ever get around David. Don't ever let David find you. Don't. And he's got to go. And when he gets there, he would have just been trembling. I mean, he falls on the, he just falls before his feet. He knows you're going to kill him. Just get it over with. And David says, don't fear. Do you know that that is the most uttered command in the New Testament? Of all the commands that Jesus gives, that one was uttered more than any other one single command. Fear not. Isn't that something? And so... Mephibosheth said, what, you know, what do you want with a dead dog like me? And David said, you're going to eat at the king's table all your life. 
He didn't say it once, twice, three times. He said it four times in case he might misunderstood it. You're going to eat at the king's table. So get the scene. The dinner bell rings. And Solomon and David comes in to the head of the table. And Solomon, preoccupied with his studies in the library, would have walked in solemn. And there was Absalom with that long flowing hair. There was Tamer, beautiful Tamer that would have sat down. Perhaps Ahab, the general in the army, was there that day, big and strong and muscular and brown. But they don't eat. They wait. And I don't know if you could have heard down that long stone carter, clump, clump. I don't even know if Mephibosheth was able to even bring himself. Perhaps he had to even be brought to and fro. But they waited. But I want to tell you, when he gets there, and whatever they do, recline or at the table, however it is, when that tablecloth or whatever it is comes and covers them, Mephibosheth at the table looks like everybody else. Everybody's the same at the king's table. Everybody. Three things. Mephibosheth, number one, knew that he deserved nothing, brought nothing, and could demand nothing. Nothing. Secondly, Mephibosheth didn't ever have to wonder about the love or the grace of David. All he had to do was look at his feet. His crippleness was a constant reminder of the king's grace. And we too know we're crippled. We know. And sometimes when we weep in the darkness for our sins, if we just whip this sin, and that might be the worst thing that could have happened because then we might believe that we could do it on our own and not crippled. Nothing to bring, nothing to give. Look at our crippleness, and so we know we're crippled. I, uh, you know, in Psalms 50, there's an interesting passage. We know we can't ever, ever do enough. God's asking here uh, as if, if I were hungry and I needed something, would I have to ask you for it? <laughs> it's, in essence, it's saying, you know, I don't really need anything you got. And then as if to say, yeah, I do. The thing I need from you 
is for you to be thankful. That's the sacrifice I'd like to have. You just be thankful. In fact, he goes on and ends that by saying, the sacrifice that honors me is a thankful heart. And so, knowing we can never, ever do enough to earn it, that it's already been done, we live with gratitude and thanksgiving. And I hope today that your circle doesn't just involve the people who know what you know or believe what you believe or look like you look or smell like you smell. You know what will happen? It will just get smaller and smaller and smaller. There's nobody left but you. I hope you can share a little grace and love and mercy and love those who love who you love. And then the circle will get bigger. And so don't worship God and try to impress Him, but to give Him thanks and praise. And please don't pray. God, I'm thankful that I'm not like other people. Pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Bob Benson tells a story back in the days of, well, the funeral. Any of you remember the funeral old, before the days of air conditioning, with that old funeral home fans and, They'd have a picnic down at the park about 4.30. You bring, uh, we'll have the games and you bring your lunch. We'll have the tea and the drinks. And so you rush in the last minute to uh, fix your little picnic. And all you can find is just an old stale piece of bologna. And two dried pieces of bread. And just enough mustard in a jar. You get it all over your knuckles trying to get it out. But you make your little sandwich, and you go down to the picnic, and you sit down at a table with a lady who was quite a cook, and she'd cooked all day. I mean, she had fried chicken and baked beans and potato salad and sliced tomatoes, two homemade chocolate pies. And there you sit with your bologna sandwich. And she says, why don't, we just, why don't we just put it all together? <laughs> oh, you said, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't think of that. I would, oh, she said, we got plenty of chicken and everything else. And we all like bologna sandwiches. Why don't we just put it all together? <laughs> and so you do. And here you come like a pauper and you, pauper and you eat like a king. And today we come with our nothing. <laughs> our righteousness is like dung. And God comes with His abundance and says, why don't we just put it all together? And it's called amazing grace. 
Amazing grace Shall always be my song of praise For it was grace That bought my liberty I do not know just why he came to love me so. He looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary. To view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my faults and so my needs. And when we get to the point that we're able to look beyond people's faults and see their needs, we're getting pretty close to the heart of God. Grace has been given to be given, to be given, to be shared. If you need to respond to God's marvelous grace. His grace didn't mean anything to you if you haven't appropriated it through that blood of Jesus. And bowed that knee and bowed that heart to be Lord of your lords and King of your kings. So if you need His salvation, if you need to confess His beautiful name, be baptized. If you need the prayers of the love of the church, come while we stand and sing.